3: Unless I totally don't understand our target audience, I figure you're listening right now because you're as crazy about elk hunting as we are. Yeah, buddy. And if that's the case, let me tell you what, you are in for a T-R-E-A-T treat today. On today's show, we have the elk nut himself, Paul Madell. And if you've ever listened to Paul, well, you know that talking to elk is his passion and Paul never fails to bring it, y'all. You know there's going to be calling involved, but we start out in a totally different direction. We talk to Paul about how he goes about locating and finding elk in a new area. The question that so many of you are asking yourself from this point right now until September. That topic, much more, and Paul even gives up a nugget never heard before on a podcast. One note. This show is an audio-only experience, but you can still find it on YouTube. So, my friends, pull up a chair, turn your volume up just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting,
2: brought to you by elkgrows.com, with your host, Gilbert Nellis and elk hunting coach, Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters.
3: Hello there, everyone. Welcome to our Insights Special Edition. I hope you enjoy the show. If this is your first time with us on our Insights Edition, our goal is to interview people from all walks of life, that bring their viewpoints, expertise, or stories about elk and elk hunting to inspire you, guide, and educate. And let me tell y'all, you're in for a treat today. I'm Joe Gillia, your host for the show, and joining us today from Boise, Idaho, the location of the, <laughs> the Boise Broncos that played the... Best college football team I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> Living there is the elk nut himself, <laughs> Paul Medell. Paul, how are you, man?
1: <laughs> I'm doing great, boy. That was a surprise intro, but that's pretty cool because I, I I actually do like the Broncos. <laughs> oh man, I, I uh, I'm trying to think uh,
3: them playing Oklahoma, and I'm trying to remember yep, the year. I in,
1: knew that's what you meant, <laughs> Fiesta Bowl, right?
3: Was it the Fiesta Bowl? And uh, they Yes, it was. I think they were the best team in the nation that year and people put them against uh, Oklahoma to show them they weren't what they thought they were and it was one of the greatest football games I've ever seen in my life. So
1: <laughs> Even if you're not a Bronco fan, many people said that 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 very thing. I mean, it was an unbelievable game. What was it? Ian. Ian is the one that scored the final touchdown on that st- Statue of Liberty play. The oh, play, sta- it yeah, was exactly. Ian Johnson. It, you, was, it was crazy. It was an awesome game. You talk about gutsy, man. I mean, you know what?
3: I, I think that's why I love that game so much because uh, guys like yourself, guys like me, I, I just love that gutsy attitude. I love that taking it to people and not backing down. So uh, The underdog. Yeah, the underdog. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul— uh, I You know, I think a lot of people listening uh, are probably going to listen to this because they go out on podcasts and they search for Paul Medell, the elk nut. So I think a lot of people are going to um, know who you are. Some of my listeners, if you guys don't know who Paul Medell is, uh, known as the elk nut, if you, I'm going to Put this right out front, right away. It's the same thing you've heard me recommend on many of my shows. If you want to make the best investment in your elk hunting career, go right now, look on uh, on your apps on your phone, and go look for the Elk Nut app. I, You know, a lot of you are going to spend uh, thousands of dollars to come out west to go hunting, and if you want to invest in something invest more in your elk knowledge and if you do that by investing in that elk nut app you're ahead of the ball game so i just had to put that out right away paul uh i well thanks i appreciate it oh you know I, i think um i've told people before they're like well aren't you creating your own academy? Aren't you doing an educating thing? Why are you recommending uh, other things? And I'm like, I'm a coach. I-, I want everybody out there to succeed. So I'm going to tell you where to find the best tools. Honor the people that are doing the job out there. And, and that's one thing, Paul. That's one reason that I really wanted you uh, on our podcast is I you truly are of the blue collar, grind it out perseverance type of guy, and uh, I I felt that it was so fitting to have you with us.
1: Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. I mean, yeah, I'm just one of the guys. I'm, I'm no different, man. You don't put me on a pedestal. I mean, <laughs> I'm just, I'm the same as anybody else. I go through the same trial and errors. Uh, you know, we hunt the same country. We're hunting over the counter. Right. Uh, as everybody else does, you know, these blue-collar guys. And so, you know, being able to be successful uh-huh. in this type of country and environment right it requires a lot of versatility and and, and, and it's taken me like 40 years to understand this and then and, and and to also evolve with the elk and what that means is evolving with the elk it means you're 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 not using the same thing you did 20 25 years ago sure. because there's so many more hunters there's wolves. Uh, sometimes there's even less country. Country is bought up by somebody else. So so in some of those, that land you used to hunt is no longer accessible. So maybe you're hunting smaller areas or, or just smarter elk. Right. And, and And so we've learned to improvise and to be able to adjust our thoughts. Because who doesn't want to bugle in every bull and have aggressive action? I mean, we all do. But if that's all we keyed in on, we would be in trouble as an over-the-counter, you know, blue-collar type worker because it's going to take more thought, more strategy to be able to take a 7-, 8-, 10-day hunt, which is what most people have. Uh-huh. And, and most elk hunters don't even live in elk country. So to be able to find some information that might shorten the learning curve, you know, this is what guys like you and I, we try to share. Absolutely. And, you know,
3: uh, I know that Everybody that's listening loves to hear you talk about calling elk, and I know, and you and I know that we're going to get in there because there's no way we can talk about elk without talking about that <laughs> language and stuff. But here at the beginning, I'm going to take you in a little bit different direction. Uh, okay. It, so you and I have had a lot of success, but a lot of my success has had nothing to do with hunting areas with a high success rate per se, uh, I could care less about success rates. I think for me, I think there's been a huge advantage in hunting some of the same areas year after year after year. But I know that for most of those hunters out there that are going on a western elk hunt, deciding, <sighs> man, this is the thing. This is the thing that just boggles their mind. Deciding on where to hunt, pulling up a state and looking at all of that country is just, it's daunting. You know, so I mm-hmm. I know a lot of guys listen to you and they're like, but how does Paul, you know, because you've, you've done something that I haven't, Paul, I have never hunted outside of New Mexico. It's always been public land in New Mexico, never been in another state. So this is a picture I don't have. How do you, when you're going to go out someplace and not in those areas <clears> that you hunt year after year, when you're going to go out to state, how is it, man, that you handle that? How do you select where to first go and and find elk?
1: Yeah, you know, that's actually a really good question. For myself, personally, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I select country that's, you know, extremely rough because most people kind of shy away from it. And and what I mean by rough, I don't mean non-negotiable. I just mean country that most people would overlook or, or, or not want to hunt. In other words, I like a lot of steep terrain. I like heavy timber. And most people, they want more open country or semi-open. They want to be able to see. They want to do a lot of glassing, uh-huh. and, and which is great. But one of the biggest problems they fall into once they get in that country is they start calling in this open country. And, and it's really a big mistake. But for myself, I'm looking for that country that's tight. So if I'm unfamiliar with a state, I'm going to go hunt. Uh-huh. I have no problem with calling uh, a game biologist but the last thing I ask him is I, I never question him about how many bulls are there how many people hunt uh, am I gonna are there a lot of big bulls I could care less what I, what I try to bring across to him to uh, be able to dial myself in and and this stuff is actually on the app I, I actually talk about this oh awesome is I look for the country I want to hunt and, and and I ask where can I find roadless? trailless country to, to, to some extent, mm-hmm. you know, nothing is completely roadless or trailless, but right. to some extent, where can I find some steep country that I can go in if I wanted to, two, three miles. I really don't go any further than that. Four miles is just a real extreme for me. I don't, I, there's no reason for it. There's a lot of elk before that when you're talking the way the crow flies, right. you know? Right. And so I, I'm looking for country country that's real steep and rugged uh, stuff, where where there's very little access and a lot of times when you call these places man they are so eager to help you they'll because you're not asking them the dumb questions right. you know where are all the people <laughs> hunting and where are the elk and, and then right. how big are the herds and i don't even care i'm like you joe i'm like okay I, I just need one elk i just need one bull that's it and i'm not trying to kill the biggest bull in the world you know most of the country i hunt i hunt over the counter every year right and so i'm looking for five and six points i'm not looking for cows and spikes personally so that's what I'm looking forward to 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 notch a tag on. And so by finding that country, they're going to say, oh, man, you want to look at the northwestern part or the northeastern. They're so eager to help as opposed to the same old, same old, where are the elk and where can I kill a decent bull? I mean, they, they're not going to tell you anything like that. You might think they will, but avoid those questions. So once you get the country kind of you know figured out right. to where they tell you check on this part of the, of the of a unit or this part you know of the area the region that, that, that you're going to you're you're, in, you're interested in that's what I key in on and once I get that information in unknown territory we're talking here mm-hmm. then what I do is I generally will get topo maps of that area and so when I mean by topo maps is I get the 7.5 minute one in 24,000 USGS maps. They're gr- for ground navigation. These are what surveyors use. Mm-hmm. I don't want the maps that, that the guys in the airplanes and the, and, the, and the pilots use. I don't want the longitude latitude stuff. It's too, it's too far out. It's right. not really tight in the country. And I'm usually getting four to six maps of that area. And so I kind of study the maps and I get a good idea of what the area looks like. And then what I do is I take my – I have an inner reach, and I have what's called EarthMate app on it, and it goes anywhere. So I now zoom in on that area. I go to my TV. I have a 60-inch screen TV, and I plug a USB cord into the TV and, and, and my phone cord in the other end of my phone. Now I'm looking at a 60-inch screen of this entire area this guy recommended of this part of the zone or unit in right. his state mm-hmm. so now i'm looking at and i mean i'm bringing this thing up in 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 what's called imagery so it's not topo looking it looks like i'm standing there in the mountains i'm seeing timber i'm looking as timber as i would see at the ground i'm looking at trails roads and i'm looking okay here's where the pressure would come here pressure's going to come here there's a trailway over here and i'm breaking the country down and as i'm looking at the country I see creeks. I see a little pond, little creeks running here. I'm looking at benches on the mountain. I'm looking, okay, this is well away from anybody. If they were walking on this trail or this road and bugled and called and called, elk over here could never hear them, and they could never hear the elk, even if they did hear them. So I'm looking to where these elk are probably going to get pushed, where they still have the feed, the water, and the shelter. They have everything they need right here. So I start touching my finger on the various areas, I might pick ten of them. I might only pick three; it depends on what the area offers. And I go click, click, click with my finger on my phone, and it shows on the TV, mm-hmm. shows on my big screen, and because that screen's a lot bigger than my phone screen, and at sixty-five, <laughs> right. you need all the help you can get with your eyes. And so I'm looking at all this, and and then I name them, and so I have those positions locked in, no matter how many. And I can now, you know, move and zoom around the area and find more areas. When I go into a new area, man, I try to get 10 to 15 spots, Joe. And so I'm picking all these spots that are away from these areas that I think the elk either already live in or they're getting pushed to. And those are the things I start sinking my teeth into. I know I'm going to hit areas where sooner or later, within one or two days, I'm going to find elk. And when I say find them, I'm going to find them vocally. I'm going to find them through calling. Mm -hmm. I have three main sounds I use. For location. See, most guys only have one. They have a location bugle. That's all they really rely on. Well, I rely on three. And I'll tell you something, Joe. This is the first podcast I've ever said this on. Oh, really? <laughs> but I, oh, yeah. I've never said this before. This is, and so, But I'm going to share this little tidbit. All right. People aren't creative enough. People want a location bugle, location bugle, location bugle, and because it's an easy bugle to relate to, and it's, a new, it's one that, that you can see on the internet and all these little videos and everything out there. But there's really three main sounds that I resort to, and the reason I'm doing it is I'm hunting over-the-counter elk. Right. These elk, even though they're in these areas, they've had pressure somewhere that forced them over there. You see, and I recognize that from so many years of hunting, that the fact is that you are dealing with some pressured elk that were bumped and moved over from somewhere at one time or another. If not, it's a bonus and don't worry about it because that elk's going to be a dumb elk and he's going to be susceptible to calling very easily. But you can't think that way. You have to think that all these elk have seen that rodeo at one time or another. So if I'm in an area and I feel my location bugle isn't receiving. Or, you know, any engagement from another bull and it should be, I've covered enough country and I know this, is, these areas look good. I now go to different sounds. One thing about a location bugle, it doesn't require assistance or an action. Okay. Right. So what I switch to, I may switch to a cow bugle. Now when a cow gives that high pitch squeal, it's requiring an action or assistance or uh, where are you? You see, the location bugle is more of a bull. He's looking for the groups. He's hoping a herd bull with cows is going to respond to him detrimentally. That's what he's looking for. And a bull that's given a location bugle, first you have to understand, oh, a bull's given a location bugle. How do you know it's a location bugle? Because he's on the move. A bull does not give a location bugle unless he's on the move. He's in search of. Now, if a bull's advertising his position and he's trying to... Yeah, one spot trying to call cows or whatnot, build a harem. Right. He stays right there. He doesn't move. See, that location bugling. The location bugling is what I call a ridge runner. Mm-hmm. He's the guy that's moving, 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 moving in, and he's trying to find. Now, a cow, when she gives that high-pitched squeal, she's she demanding. either knows elk are already there, and mm-hmm. she's trying to bring them over to her, or she's in search of maybe she got scattered. And now she's trying to find them. See, this requires an action and so does a contact buzz. A contact buzz requires action from other elk, and I use it through my tube when I want to get distance. I'm not talking to something that I already know is there. So those are my three main sounds when a bugle isn't cutting it, and I I really got a gut feeling those bulls are there. Mm -hmm. You go to that. I have done this so many times over the years where the bugle wasn't working at that time, and I hit that uh, cow sound, right? And man, they just light right up. And I'm like, I knew you were there, you dirty rascals. So, Paul, I there's knew a lot of people
3: that have never heard a cow bugle. Can g- do you have any of your calls with
1: you? Are you able to give them an example of that? Yeah, no, I can do it. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I. Uh, why don't I do this, Joe? Why don't I give my normal location bugle? Okay. And then I'll show them the difference between that and the cow bugle. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Hmm. Okay. Here's my normal location bugle, and I really don't care about giving grunts and chuckles and everything. And the reason being is most of the time I'm locating elk are so far away, they probably don't even hear them. They don't care how good I sound with a grunt or a chuckle or nothing like that. Yeah. So most, most of the time yeah, on my location I bugle, <laughs> I,
3: I only give the high note a lot of times on my location bugle. I'm just broadcasting that note out so I know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, So so here's a normal location bugle for me. Okay. Okay. And that's pretty common. And, you know, who doesn't do that? Mm -hmm. And so that's basically what I'm doing. And then, but when you go to a cow bugle, it isn't much different, except that when you're, when a cow is, 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 is urgently looking for other elk, she stays with that high note. And that's what she does. And what's funny about a cow is she may give that note like that four or five times. And very rare do you see a bugle, a bull do a bugle like that in his location four or five times in just a few seconds. But a cow will. And that is one of the separation things. If you guys are in the woods and you hear it, you can almost automatically tell yourself that that's a cow. That's not a bull. This is a cow doing it. She did it so fast and so many times in a short period of time. Because you got to remember that a lot of times we're hunting very thick country. You don't get to see it. Right. So you're trying to evaluate what you're hearing. But a cow will do something like this. (whistles) And that's what she'll do. She doesn't have that big roar at the end. And she'll go over and over real fast with it. Almost like a real immature bull. Very, almost like a spike doing it. And she'll go over. I've sat there and watched them. I have video clips of them wow. and everything. Watching the cows do this. Sometimes she'll even give a slight lip ball at the end. Believe it or not. Really? She'll kind of give a. Oh, yeah. She'll kind of give a little. <whistles> that's about it. Just a little nothing. I mean, don't get exaggerated with uh-huh. it and try to think yeah. you have to sound monster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She'll give a little right at the end and 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 what's nice is is watching them do it so that it's not someone just telling me, right, and right. When I start going through these sounds in some difficult areas where I feel they're there, uh-huh. those are the things that can really bring it home. and what and and then third sound just so we can go through it is the contact buzz. And a cow will use this when she's urgently trying to bring other elk to her or she ha- knows other elk are in the air because she heard them at a distance. But, yes, yeah, she's kind of went through and she she cannot find them and she'll go through this buzz. And without the tube, it sounds, you know, you, you know what a contact buzz is. Yep. But yep. for the listeners, this is what it sounds without the tube. <laughs> then with the tube and then she'll kind of it's her emotion behind it that's right. what's getting it is your is, is she showing these other her feeling what she's thinking so you can't just make sounds out there when you're when you're hunting calling elk going through the motions you got to think about what that sound represents to the other elk. This is so dang important, even if you're using a challenge bugle or just a simple social or from a social to a regathering mew, You see, you're showing that the tone is, is emitting the emotion and what you're feeling at that time. And when you can start practicing and using those sounds like that in the woods, you will be so convincing. They think you're another elk. So instead of just saying, I got to make this sound or that sound, feel it. Uh, Many times when I'm making those sounds, my eyes are closed. I'm really putting myself in the moment, especially, which we could talk about later, when I'm going into the slow play, I really feel that, you know, just the passion that that bull's going through, just the emotion he's going through because of his... It's little treasure right in front of him. And so I'm trying to do that through the contact buzz or through that cow bugle. Not so much a location bugle, but these other ones. And, man, I have sparked so many bugles. When I, not kidding you, have bugled five, six, seven times, nothing. Wait a few minutes and start hitting the the, the cow. Like maybe she came in later on, you know, a few minutes later, and now she's looking for him. And it has sparked bulls to just scream right back. Like I knew they were there the whole time, or I had hoped they were there. And fired back, now I have something to work with. Once I got his response, I got him to interact. That bull's in trouble because now I know how to work him. I know what his his feeling. I know there's no rutting action, nothing aggressive. You're not going to kill this bull getting aggressive right away. If you do, he's either going to shut up or move off. And if he shut up, you think he moved off, and he didn't. He's still right there, but he's not saying anything. And so you have to really go through the motions – to build on his curiosity and suck him into you. You know and, something, and, Paul? I'm going to give something.
3: I'm sorry. Uh, I, go That's ahead. That's all right. I, no, that was it. Uh, I wanted to tell you, you gave... Uh, I'm. You know, I'm blown away that you did something that you've never done before. And uh, and I want to give you something out of that, too, is, is one of my extra tricks in the bag that over the years i found that uh, gets them to speak up, too. And I call mm-hmm. it, I refer to it as a, a double bugle. And mm-hmm. what I do with that is it's a location bugle, goes up mm-hmm. to the high note. As I begin to come back down, as I start to come down, I go right back up right Mm -hmm. back up, sometimes even a little bit more shrill, but right back up to the top and then bring it down. And... I, just like you, I've had times when those animals, I could be bugling, I could be bugling and nothing. I would throw that double bugle out there and boom, they come right back on it. And I don't, you know, I've thought about it over the years. Is it because, you know, like you said, they hear so many times, that single person, that single person, that single person giving those calls. And all of a sudden now it's like, whoa, there's a bull that just answered right back in the area of that other bull uh And it gets them to crank off. And I've almost thought, too, it's like, well, they're not paying attention to me, per se. There's two bulls over there, you know, a couple of guys that are out there, man. And, man, I want to be part of the group. I'm here. Hey, I'm here. Hey, I'm here. So uh, I just thought I'd give
1: that one to you because uh, uh, you were nice enough to give us your three there. Yeah, I've, I've used that. a a time or two myself Uh and what, what, what you're doing? Oh yeah. I mean, there's nothing I haven't tried. Oh, (laughs) I I guarantee you. I I (laughs) I mean, I'm sure you haven't either. I mean, you know, it's the same thing as going with the full send type bugle and that's what I call it. You know, when you're, when you're hitting a hard grunt or two and then scream, sometimes you could just shock them into calling like that. And again, what you, what we're doing here is we're playing with emotion. That's what you're doing. When you, when you have to think back, sit back, and just think, I'm out there hunting, and I hear that exact sound from right. a real bull. What are you? What is it saying to you? You see, the emotion that he's displaying is basically showing he's in the presence of something that is stimulating him. When a bull is showing that kind of emotion, he's usually showing something that's defensive. Okay? This isn't a social, hey, come on over here, guys, with that double bugle. Not even close. This is more of, you better stay back. This could easily be used or or, or, or determined that there are bulls around him, and Correct. maybe they're not saying anything. And it's still, still he's letting them know, I smell you. I, I, you. You've come around into my set pattern. I know you're there. It's a warning to stay back. Or he visually sees them, and maybe he has a cow that's just coming into heat. She's mm-hmm. not ready to be bred. She's emitting the slightest amount of pheromone which is the airborne chemical that a cow will emit, and it can just be sprinkled. It's just enough to light his fire, and maybe he's the only one that smells it. As she comes in closer to being in heat, she, it will emit through urine or through sweat, through her tongue. It will start to fill that atmosphere, and it, will, it can carry for definitely a couple of miles, depending on the wind and depending on the terrain you're in. She's high, it's coming low, you know, whatever the case may be. This is what excites bulls and can bring satellites in. But the point is, is that when you start using certain sounds, use a lot of emotion behind it. It's usually it's it's situational. It's because of what he's he's right, what he has right in front of him and what he's feeling because of what that situation is. You see, and that's what that's what you're doing. You're almost planting the seed that you have a hot cow present right there. Without going through a lot of other foreplay type stuff, you're because of the emotion, you're putting behind that call. Bulls do not make sounds like that as a yawn, as I'm not, it doesn't mean anything. No, not at all. It's the same as if a bull was coming into another bull and he ran into a satellite. I've had this happen so many times. And as he runs into the satellite, he'll give that and scream a bugle over it and it runs that bull out of there. You see, and, and at the same time, if you use it as a as a as a stepping stone of knowledge, as he was going toward the big bull, and he hit that satellite. He ran him off. If you are ever running or going at a herd bull, and you're screaming, raking, and you're closing the distance, you're getting him infuriated, and you run into that satellite that you didn't even know was there, yeah. and you don't know what to do, and that bull runs, and you don't do anything because you're like stage fright, like, oh crap, I didn't even know he was there. And you don't do anything, that bull, as he runs, it's as much as giving a warning bark to the rest of those l yeah. He hear they hear it. And it's an instinctive survival thing. Off they go. They know something's wrong. It's running for its life. So when I run into that situation, Let I them hit him with it. that heart. And scream, let letting the other elk know that, yeah, I ran into this elk, all right, but they don't know if they think I'm a real bull and I ran this guy off. Yep. So see, that puts them at ease that that's why this bull is running. So you see, I play those little games. You know, it's, I'm, I'm prepared mentally in my head in case I accidentally run into something of that nature. Now, if it was cows... And I've done this many times. I've run in. I get tunnel vision because the bull's right there. And, you know, I'm excited. He's excited. Oh, yeah. I'm being honest. I mean, it happens. And then next thing you know, you look 12, 13 yards to your right. And there's two cows in a spike. Like, oh, no. And (laughs) and when they blow out of there. So what I do is I usually start cow calling rapidly and run right at the bull. I know that's my only chance. Right. I could scream a bugle and try to call him back and do all this and that. Sometimes that'll work. But I've found out more times than not that if you use the cow sound and run at the bull, he stays anchored right there waiting for you. He's waiting for the cow to come. And so, you know, because she's upset and running for whatever reason. When When elk run from a threat, do you know that there could be 10 elk, 4 elk, or 25 elk? Usually only one or two even know what the threat is. The rest have no idea. Right. They're responding or acting, reacting to get out, get out, get out. And a lot of times, I've even gave little barks and ran right at the bull, just like a cow would. I mean, just chirping away, loud, almost in a bark manner, and he just stays right there. That's now how this you have to be thick things. terrain when you're doing that, correct? Oh yeah, they can't see you or smell you. Of right. course, you can't let them see any of this, and and that's and, and you know that's yeah, that's kind of a no brainer right. that you can't let them see you or smell you. Or, I mean. It's game over. Yeah. But when you can make them think you're one of them and all it takes is that split second. You're not asking for three minutes here. You're asking for 10 or 15 seconds at the most, depending on the distance, sometimes less than that, to convince them to allow them to come right to you. Because when you're making that sound, more times than not, the bull is making another sound, trying to draw you or give you the direction right where to go. And it just happens so fast. But is that or you sit back doing nothing, twiddling your thumbs because you don't know what to do. You know, you just have or you sit there, cow calling, you know, I mean, like he's going to come running over to you and everything else is running away. Yeah, right. He's not going to do it. Yeah. So you make make believe you're one of them and you go right at him. And of course, you know, you're you you have to analyze the situation, when to stop, when to creep in those last few movements or draw, move out from the uh, cover you're in and try to get that shot because he's not going to run because you're making all any noise. He's not going in. He thinks that's the cow. I mean, the whole entire time. So, you know, you have to be on your game to pull it off. But the thing is, what if you don't do any of that? No, it, it, You're gonna it's walk simple with math. Nothing. Yeah, simple math. You don't do anything. You're going to get nothing <laughs> out of it. But anyway, you know, those are those are kind of some of the little things. I'm, I'm I'm always thinking like this. And we even talk about it at Elk Camp a lot of times when, when some of us are sitting there. Uh-huh. of Some of the stuff we may come against. And how to handle that situation, or maybe the angle the bull may present. You know, is it going to be a frontal? Is it going to be according to you? What happens if the, you know, it's there's Sometimes you just got to let down, Joe. I'm sorry, but that's that's the name of the game. You got to let down. They got, they're going to walk, and you have to tell yourself that, right. you know, that there are those situations. And so, be man enough at that time. Don't get overtaken by the excitement, you know, of an encounter. To where you're using them as a pincushion, because I'll tell you what, you will lose more of those battles than you will ever have standing over the antlers of that elk by just being lucky.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, we talk a lot about that. I mean, we talk a lot about making sure that you're shooting within yourself, that you're taking that responsible shot, that you're taking that point. Yeah, exactly. No, totally get you. So when when you do go in, when you, you've, you've picked out these 11 different areas or something like that, and you go in and you start looking in those spots, how much time do you spend in one of those locations before you pull the stakes and head to the next one, Paul?
1: Well, I'm looking for bulls, right? Right. Five and six, that's all I care about. So you're not going to see... The elk nut doing blind, cold calling setups. <laughs> I don't do those. <laughs> right. I recommend them to others who who are just getting their feet wet in the game because uh-huh. it really does bring a lot of elk in. But it's usually bringing in, you know, the spikes, the cows, the little rags. I mean, you three by four. I mean, it's just because there's so many more of those out there right. than there are five, six point bulls. And so – Myself personally, I'm I'm bugling. I'm bugling the whole entire way. There's nothing I'm moving, nothing I'm moving, nothing I'm moving. I may go to the cow bugle. I may go to the contact buzz as I feel the area out. But in most cases, I really don't even have to go a mile, a mile, and I find a bull. Oh, yeah. And I mean over the counter no matter where I go, and, and I'm talking like a GPS mile right? Sure. In, 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 in whatever direction. And and this is especially so if I know the area I'm hunting, You know, you know how it is. Every year you don't hunt. Areas that you just know inside and out. I I do hunt those. But then I also hunt other areas that, hey, I want to go check this out. I want to check that. I was looking on my phone and on the TV. I'm not kidding you guys. If you have never done it, it should be like cheating I'm not kidding. You get your phone and you hook it up to your TV and right. you can scan areas you've hunted for years and you'll go, I never knew that was here. I never knew that spot over here was there. You just, you know, some of the thicker country, you really don't see a lot of stuff. Right. And so the TV with along with with, you know, that in uh, app there or Onyx, any of them will really do it. Sure. But that's the one I use because it's free and I'm kind of frugal and it came with the InReach. And I hunt areas, you just don't have phone service. You just don't have it. And that's, you know, if somebody's messing with the app, the app, you don't need phone service once it's downloaded. It's all right there. The app that I'm using, EarthMate, right? you don't need anything. Once I have it, it's there on my phone, and I can go into airplane mode, so my battery is spared. And uh, it'll go two, two and a half days on, on all the whole time. But uh, But I rarely use it. I'm only using it to find something, and then it's... It's in. It, actually, I just throw it in my pouch on my on my exo pack that I use, and, and and so it works really well like that. But from that standpoint, I'm calling, I'm bugling, I'm moving through and bugling, bugling. Or maybe I'm at, Like I said, I may switch my sounds if I really think something's there. But most of the time, probably you 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 can you know uh, understand too that most of the time the location bugle will give something away mm-hmm. somewhere, no matter what the distance. You know, sooner or later it does, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, and that's a, th- that's a great point, too, because, you know, I hear a lot of people like when they hear me call and stuff, like that, a lot of people say that uh, they, they want to say that we call too much. And uh, I absolutely don't agree with that, man. Uh, no. yeah, I, I don't think that you can call too much. I think uh, uh, you you've got to work it. You've got to be out there doing
1: that. I think people call it inopportune times, and then they blame the bugle. In other words, they're calling from areas that are too open, mm-hmm. or they're calling to elk that are in the open. And what they don't understand is is when you call, call to elk in an opening, let's say they're 200 yards, 300, 500, whatever – a lot of times you'll get a response and you're just inside the timber line or you're in enough cover. You know, I see you. You can't see me. But you give a sound. And a lot of times when they receive a response back, all they can think about, oh, I got a response back. Okay. They right. don't understand that. Nine times out of ten, that those elk are calling you out. They're calling you to them. And you keep calling. They keep calling. You're giving cow calls. The next thing you know, they start putting distance between you and them. Because in the real elk world, you go to them if you're an elk. You start showing yourself, they're asking you to show yourself, they're asking you to come on over. And when you don't do it because you don't recognize what they're saying through their tone, you see, that's where you mess up. When when you're calling, here's let me give you an example. Here is okay. social cow calling. All right. Now, when, a, when, a, when an elk hears you and it's saying, hey, come on over here, you know, why should 15 elk come to you when only one has to go over there? I mean, it doesn't even make sense. Right. Not that you can't pull them over. Don't get me wrong. But in most cases, when they're in the open and you're not, they try to pull you out because they've been busted before. You know, they've been pressured. And again, we're talking about elk that get hunted. Right. But here's social cow call right here. That's what you'll hear them do. Mm -hmm. Now, if you start using that or a bugle, and then they want you to come out, they're asking you to, here's the sound you're going to hear from a cow, and even a bull can do it. But most of the time, it's the cows that'll start chattering. And you're going to hear them do something like this. First, they raise their volume. Mm -hmm. And you notice how they're changed from their social to this. It's like they're telling you to come on out. It's called a regathering. Yes. Come on over here and if you don't come out a lot of times if they think you don't they don't you you can't hear them good or there is some cover you'll hear them do this they lengthen it out and so they raise the volume and start lengthening it and it, what it does is it's a little more urgent or more demanding to come on over here get over here just like you're asking someone hey, come on over here hey, come here Next thing you know, they don't come. I mean it goes by you're going, Hey, come over here, get over here. You see how you change your tone and Absolutely. your emotion. You don't go, come over here. Hey, I say get over here. Hey, come here. No, you, you start raising your voice. This is what elk are doing, but they're using the, the, the that, that mew. It's a regathering mew to come on over this way. And so you'll hear them raise it and lengthen it, especially if something is separated. You'll hear them doing it within their own realm. If they're moving through the timber and mom's not hearing junior or even the lead cow's not hearing some of the cows as they're moving through, all of a sudden – She's hearing three or four or five sounds and not the other one or two or whatever. She'll reach out for them and tell them to get back over here or, 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 or this is where we are. Come on this way. So you see, you, you start picking up on these different elk sounds instead of just saying, oh, there's elk over there. You start picking up on their tone, on the emotion or cadence of the sound. And so we use this against them. They're using the same sound. When when I'm calling a bull, if I'm using a cow call and a bull's not coming, I immediately try to pull him over to me. He's (laughs) answering, answering, and then I get to a certain distance, and maybe there's a little opening and I can't get through it without maybe being busted. So now I try to call him over. You see, I I, I, I change the whole channel of communication. So I'm not making elk sounds. I'm communicating with the elk. Do they come every time? No. Sometimes you you know you got to spice it up. Other times they recognize the sound and here they come over. Sometimes it's the cows. You just don't know even though you're calling the bull. So that's where I like to incorporate the bull sound in with this. You know, if I'm trying to engage with the bull only. Mm-hmm. But but the point is is the communication is how you are telling those elk or make or, or requiring an action out of them. Don't just make elk sounds. Understand each sound, even as you practice. If you practice a social mew, a regathering mew, a little bit longer regathering mew, a contact buzz, understand what the sound represents to the elk. And as you practice, you'll start putting that right emotion behind it, the right feeling. You're not just going through the motions and making a sound. You're you're trying to fit a situation when you're actually in the elk woods, you know, and you really are. You're trying to put your real heartfelt uh, uh, message behind it, so it's convincing. As you are, con- you are convincing and believable to the elk, you will start sucking them in. I can tell you, and I've mentioned this before, when you are convincing to elk, they will not come in downwind. They will come straight at you, right? Or, 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 or in the path of least resistance. I mean, the last hundred bulls I called in, I can promise you, I could count on one hand that tried to come downwind. When a bull comes in or an ANL comes in downwind, it's because suspicion was ar- has arisen. There's something they didn't like what you said. Maybe they saw a movement of a flash and didn't represent what they think it should. And so they get a little bit, you know, survival instinct kicks in. And so they start coming around and they want to win to make sure you're not a threat. But when you do it right, you will find that most elk will come the least resistance and the shortest path. And I'm talking over-the-counter bulls here. They come right at you. So, you know, if guys have had those issues, because I see it all over the internet, Internet that you got to make sure you watch everything downwind. They come downwind all the time. Baloney. I don't know where you guys are hunting or what you're doing. But I've called, my son and I've called over a 1,000 bulls to bow range. And I'm going to promise you, they do not come in downwind unless we did something wrong and somebody moved or something happened most bulls, I mean, what have you found, Joe? You've killed a buttload of elk. I mean, what do you find? I mean, when when a guy kills as many elk as, as Joe has and stuff, imagine the ones he didn't kill. Because well, yeah. a lot of times we have so many bulls coming in, but the angle isn't right. Right. Or maybe the wind switches a little at the end, or somebody moved or the caller or the shooter. You know, there's always these things. You have a lot of elk encounters before you kill one sometimes. Right. You know, do you find that a lot of times... That they are coming at you, they're not trying to go in downwind all the time, or are they trying to circle downwind? Yeah, and
3: I, I find that that's pretty much whichever mode they're in that I'm that I'm going at. I have found that more of the elk that. Do do the circling are because I'm I'm in fighter mode. They're in fighter mode and trying to come around mm-hmm. and maybe grab scent of the cow to see if it's worth it to find out. You know, the, all these elk know each other. So which bull is this? Right. Have I smelled this bull before? But when I'm doing and and like you said, when you're doing those regathering cow calls, whenever you're you're doing those estrus calls, whenever you're doing, uh, you're more in what I, I call that the lover mode. Uh, I'm I'm not being threatening per say i'm I'm going on their 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 breeding their their want to breed and I find that those animals they absolutely come straight in because uh if I'm portraying a scenario that Uh, And I like to switch it up where you talked about like when that bull hears you way far away and they're saying you come to me. I almost switch it up a lot of times and I become him where I'm actually moving my herd away and making it sound like now I have multiple bulls because they hear multiple bulls. They know there is a hot bull and I create that party that they're not a part of and totally ignore them. And those bulls will come in on a string straight at you. People say that they Mm -hmm. don't come in uh, uphill, I beg to differ. They will come straight uphill, man. Just like you're saying, uh, it, I find it just kind of however I am, uh, whether I'm challenging them or whether I'm ignoring them. The bulls that I ignore and act like I'm doing my own thing They come right in, man. And the other ones that I'm challenging, for some reason, are a little more cautious. And I think it's like you said, these are public animals, public elk, that a lot of people have hunting. And they've been called in already by somebody that's doing a challenge bugle or or being aggressive towards them. And I think that's part of it, that they're going to do that. So, yeah, that's what I find.
1: Yeah, I, I I think you're spot on. I mean, those are the things that happen, you know. And especially when guys are, are dealing with, with, with the more mature bulls. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't Absolutely. necessarily mean he's, a, he's the herd bull. Mm-hmm. But when you're dealing with a mature bull, which is generally the herd bull, you know, you have like one good chance at him. You right. really do. Yeah. Because he's no dummy. If you blow your first opportunity on him and then you try to recall that bull and even the next day, yeah, you get a lot of vocalization. But getting him back in that second or third time, it's like pulling teeth. He's 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 been through that before. He got busted the first time, or you did, because well, of the situation. Have, have and, you found that switching really reads difficult.
3: on some of those guys help?
1: Just give I it don't up. think it makes. I honestly don't think it makes a, a world a bit of difference. Okay, I can. I, I personally, I mean, when we're hunting elk, uh-huh. and 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 you know, we we kind of feed off each other. We don't hunt together, the five of us. Right. There's my son and I. I hunt alone. Or I hunt with my son and that's it. I'm not hunting with the other three guys in the elk nut crew. And the five of us have been together for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of times guys think we're group hunting, but we don't. Those other three are solo hunters. They do not hunt with us, and we do not hunt with them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean we've never hunted with each other, right. but it's an extremely isolated case. I'm either a lone hunter, or or it's my son or I, or my son is hunting alone. Mm-hmm. So I want people to understand. They think, oh, they're big groups, and they're, you know, they're running this way and this way, and we got callers and shooters. No, no, guys, we're doing exactly what you're doing. But but what was your question right there, though? So yeah,
3: you know, when we talk about how some of those bulls. They get oh, educated. Yeah. They they get to know the tone of another animal, just like uh, the tone mm-hmm. of your reed. I, I've just been curious as to whether changing to a different type of reed that gives a little more different tone. Uh, have you tried that?
1: You, oh, yeah. And it doesn't work at all. No. <laughs> In my opinion, <laughs> no way. When you take a reed, you sound the same on every reed. Because you really of your do. rhythm, right? We, well, or the, the tongue pressure, the air pressure. Mm-hmm. We just We use reeds a certain way. Mm-hmm. I have... I literally have probably a hundred reads here and it wouldn't matter one bit which one I picked up. I'm pretty much, maybe I sound a little bigger or smaller on one or the other, but my tone is the same. It's still Paul behind it. It really (laughs) is. Now, my son can use an identical read. We don't even sound close to the same guy. If I want to sound different, what I do is I have an external mouthpiece uh-huh. that I will have at times, and I will put it into the end of my bugle or my hand. I don't sound nothing like an ex- like like a mouth read, not even close. So now I can be a different bull entirely because I can't get even close to the same tones out of it. Right. Now that works really well. That's right. Okay. You know, but you can use the same reeds. Some guys are different. You know, I, there's guys on the on on the elk crew that don't. You know, my location bugle and my son's location bugle are, are similar. Mm-hmm. But then you have the guys that location bugle. And here's what they do. They do this. That's their location bugle. I mean, they hammer it right off the bat. And, and they get good response. Oh, yeah. You can try all kinds of things, you know. Right. And then you got the guys that do the high note. And then sometimes I'll mix it up and do this and that. But I, I... I there's a guy Clayton, he does, and that's his that's his location bugle. He does it every time. He just nails that thing, not lip balling, nothing like that. Uh-huh. And he gets as many responses as the rest of us do. Wow. He really does. And he's just trying to locate. Yeah. And then he'll adjust his calling as necessary. But I wanted to I wanted to make one point here real quick. Uh-huh. When I'm doing a setup, okay. And I've got a bull, you know, I'm gonna work this bull, whether he gave one bugle or no bugles. I just happened to see him. I got lucky. Or he made one bugle 500, 600 yards away. Or I have an aggressive bull that is just screaming at everything. Every bull I call in, I'm trying to get him aggressive. It, by the end of my sequence of mm-hmm. whatever I'm going through, I try to take a bull that you can't get a peep out of for 15 minutes that won't shut up. That he's given me 30 bugles before the arrow flies right through him. I do. I work every bull that way. So, but what I'm doing is, I, is I have to take each bull's individuals and I have to prep them. I then work them up and elevate and try to get their hormone, their their hormones or their testosterone level to rise. Right. That is what I play on. And if you can get that testosterone, in other words, what you're trying to do is. Like a guy and he's getting aroused for a girl. He doesn't just hear an arouse. just what I'm doing. I'm trying to uh, just like a guy can get aroused for the opposite sex. And, and you know, you get that excitement and then physically you have a, a difference in you. You know, I'm not trying to get weird here, but this is what I try to do with a <laughs> bull. I yeah. take that bull that doesn't have any, any idea whatsoever to do anything for a, a cow. And I force him to make him think that there is something there that should require his attention. And I arouse his testosterone. That's what I try to do. But I don't do it with every bull. I do it with the bull that I think fits that situation. And the next thing you know, he may give one little bugle after 15 minutes of working this guy, and then another. And then next thing you know, he's cutting me off. I'm cutting him off. And I mean, it is just a roaring match. And here he comes. But I've taken a bull that wouldn't even make a peep. So I knew there was no rutting action going. And that is one of my favorite things is to get a bull to come unglued. I get, I would say, 90 to 95 percent of the bulls to react that way over a bull, which is like 5 percent to come sneaking in unannounced. Most every one of them, I get ignited and then I keep them that way. But I can't start off like that or I'll lose them. Right. I have to build them up just like if you were talking to somebody. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he annoyed you. I, I call it lathering them up. I, I, yeah, I yeah, try to lather that bull. Yeah, your up. voice raises. Yeah, and then all of a sudden your voice raises a little more, and then maybe you're yelling a little bit. Next thing you know, you're screaming because of that. What the the the, the turn of events, and now you are just hammer, and that's what I try to do. Like you say, lathering. I'm trying to do that with the with with the bull that I'm working. I don't want him just to come sneaking in because. Man, I need to hear him. I want to know where he is, what he's doing, and 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 when should I draw, you know. Even if I'm calling for my son, most of our setups when we're calling for each other, we I, I would think a far one, a, a distant one for us is 40 yards apart. Right. Most of the time, we're within 15 to 25 yards. That is our normal setup because we like the thicker country. And in most cases, I've mentioned before, 75, 80 percent, we could have both killed the bull. And so that's why when we're hunting solo or team, we do not change anything. No tactics change at all. I could have killed so many of the bulls that my son, he's killed 29 with a bow, and I could have killed probably most of every one of those. They're just right there. So and, how old but, was your son when he killed his first elk? 12 years old. 12 years old. That and is killed, so awesome. And he's killed, and he's taken. He's 42 this year, and he's taken 29. That well, is phenomenal. I won't that's say, awesome. it, and uh, he's killed 12 more with a rifle. <laughs> the kids put down a lot of a lot of elk, <laughs> but anyway, he's taken a lot with a with a bow and in. Like I told you offline earlier, I've, right. I've called every one of those bulls in, and, and 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 to be able to do that, you know, and have that bond with your son. And believe me, guys, don't think he doesn't return the favor. He calls a bunch of them in for me too. Oh, and just so, the, just it, the memories. Uh, just that's in, that's it's priceless, and, and the country you're in, yeah. and just. You know, the grind, you got to remember, there's days we go three, four, five days, even as many as that without hearing nothing, nothing. And we cover mile after mile after mile. And we're covering anywhere from six to ten miles every day. I mean, we, we are on our feet, guys. We are not just road hunting. We have never killed an elk between the two of it in the in the 30 years without rifle kills and stuff we've killed 63 we've never killed an elk that we couldn't we had to, that we didn't have to pack out every bull we've ever killed had to be packed out there's none of this hole in the truck or he died right off the road we've not got one elk like that not a single one we do a lot of calling from a road at night trying to locate when sure. things are tough and yeah. we can't get them to say anything mm-hmm. but they're these bulls aren't standing next to the road when we hear them they're way out there but <laughs> right. it's quiet and you can hear every little sound. And when we hear them, that's when we load up. Sometimes, you know, it's way before daylight. And so what do we do? We shoulder our packs. Up we go. And we start mirroring them. Because a lot of times once you get them ignited, they'll start talking to each other. Even if it's just a cow and the bull or the bull's looking for you. He heard you way back there. He doesn't know where you're at. So every few minutes, he'll just sound off. He wants to know where you're at. Right. And we don't. We go up silent. Now he can't see. him. It's dark. And so we just start mirroring the group or him alone or whatever. And we just start following, following. And the minute daybreak comes, where are we right there with them? You see, and, and it's given us a really good edge. What should we do next with how vocal they were or how vocal they weren't? It tells us, okay, Here's how we got to play. This bull isn't saying much. Our breeding sequence is way better than the slow play here. It's much more quicker. It's going to get a quicker action out of the bull. The slow play could work, but it'll take two or three times as long. Mm -hmm. We don't want to mess with them. If the bull's vocal, three more answering. We know we got a hot cow. We want to kill the herd bull. We're going to go in there and try to call the cow away. And when we try to call the cow away, we're going to do exactly what most bulls do. He tries to call the hot cow. He's not talking to the bull, and he'll usually use a sound like this when he's directing it right to the cow. He'll go like this. You notice how he'll give two, three cow sounds and straight into the bugle. He does not give no hesitation. It's no question in your mind that that's that's coming out of one voice. There is no cows and a bull there. It's all him, and he's directing it. Right to that cow. When the bull hears it, he comes absolutely unglued. And so I'm ready for him. I know what he's going to do. Is the cow going to come running to me? No. I don't even care about the cow. But this is what a satellite will do as he gets brave and he tries to move within that 100-yard realm. He tries to call the cow out of the group. And so he gets close and he starts cow calling her and screams for her urgently to come over to him. He wants her to pay attention to him. He's representing the dominance and strength that the herd bull would do. And so it's kind of a slap in the face to the herd bull that you're trying to say that he, you know, shouldn't, you know, he doesn't have the right to keep and breed those cows. That's what you're really telling him mm-hmm. through that sound. And so I'm ready for him, but I don't let everything go that I have. You know, I, it's just not the time. And that's where a lot of hunters go wrong right there. They think it's time to give the challenge a monster challenge or the biggest lip ball they can muster. And I don't do that. I play the game. I'm trying to be the real bull here. That was the first sound this bull heard from him meaning me as soon as he cuts me off and he tells me to stay back or else i usually just use my throat through my bugle i don't use the reed, and i just kind of give him a <laughs> and that's what i do and that sets the stage right there for him to back off and shut up yeah he's you, not going you, to you
3: basically he's, punched him yeah yeah it's like yeah, a, a jab more <laughs> of a jab
1: <laughs> you yeah. know like you son of a you know yeah and yeah. now i'm back and what do i do I call for the cow again, and maybe a little more aggressive. I may even throw a slight little lip ball as I urgently, I'm changing my emotion. You right. see, and that's all I'm doing through the tone. The emotion is coming to the fore for the situation I'm in. I'm not even talking to him. I'm talking to the cow. Now, if I wanted to talk to him, I'd hit him with maybe a hard grunt or two and just scream a challenge. That's not directed at the cow anymore. It's directed at him. He knows it. But I'm trying to to do this without a fight. I'm trying to get her to come past him. But he's the defense mechanism. There's no way on God's green earth he's going to let that cow come. So now he closes the distance, and he's not happy. And so you jump on the opportunity as I start I start creeping at him. And I'm raking, thrashing, screaming as I'm moving, letting him know there's no way he's going to be able to grab those cows and get out of them before I'm on top of them. That's the exact
3: point that, that you made there that I've been trying to tell people and that we try to teach people as well is that, you know, you, you take two guys that come in and and one guy just goes up and just threatens a guy, just gets in his face. Well, now you have fight or flight, right? And a lot of times, it's, it's the flight. It just kind of intimidates somebody. But you can take those same two guys and if there's some words that start to just get at each other that start to escalate the situation and then those words start coming back just a little bit more or ignores them and says, starts talking to his girl instead, that's really going to escalate in anger and that deals with their pride. And, and I know we're throwing some human instincts on this but it's a lot of that same emotion in that no it's very true you're yeah, you're right on yeah that you want to escalate that you don't you just don't go out and, and just start
1: both barrels blowing out yeah no way you will lose so many encounters go to youtube watch some of the most popular guys out there who are really good at calling and making elk sounds mm-hmm. watch how many they blow and a lot of times they'll say oh it doesn't matter i'm looking for the hot bull oh yeah so you didn't really care if that bull came in of course you do. Right. You just didn't know how to handle them. You right. did have no idea because you did not play along with your, with your one or two. And I am not don't mean anything bad to these guys. All sure. these guys are great guys. But, but here's the difference right there is to be able to read the situation and then apply a strategy that will suck him in. You see, in time, these guys are going to recognize it just like I did. I used to be those guys. I did the same thing. Don't think I wasn't aggressive with everything. Heck, yeah, I was. But then I realized, what about these other seven and eight I'm not calling in? What do I have to do to adjust things
3: to start pulling them in? Well, and not only that, there were a lot less guys in the woods at that time, too. And the animals reacted a little differently. There's a lot more people out, a little more, like you said, educated. They see people and uh, they get called in. So, yeah, you have to change the game,
1: man. You better. That's what I'm talking about when I say elk have evolved. Mm-hmm. I don't mean, you know, evolution wise. I mean, they're evolving and they're understanding what's happening out there and around them. It's not just us, it's the wolves and other predators. But you have to start being more uh, 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 in tune with the communication part of it. And everybody just wants to come out. and 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 put pedal to the metal immediately and it's a huge mistake yeah it'll work on a bull here and there when he's got a hot cow and bulls are just screaming everywhere around him but but start thinking outside of that what about the bulls you're losing what can you do to change or to be more versatile so that you can attract those as well And, and and why should you walk away from that bull and hunt two more miles before you find another. And then the same thing happens. And then two more miles. I want to ask you a question then towards that, Paul. then
3: We all know that we're learning all the time, that elk hunting, like you said, the adaptation thing, it's, it's so dynamic and it's all situational. And we know we're always learning. But I just want to ask you this. What was the one thing that happened during your hunting career that really made you feel like, I got this?
1: Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, to me, I think the number one thing that helped me to understand elk behavior, Uh and maybe it's not what you're looking for, but this is for me, Mm -hmm. is I started realizing that not only do elk communicate, but elk know each other by their sound. Once I understood that I was the outsider and that because I made an elk sound, it didn't mean I was going to fit in, not even close. I would make an elk sound and immediately they knew I was somebody, they didn't know who I was. And I started using that against them. And, 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 and timing is everything. That's why you don't see me cow calling hardly ever early in the season. I could care less about it because it rarely brings in a bull. I mean, rare. I have done blind and cold calling on over the counter hunts, I've hunted them almost 40 years. You know, that's rifle and bow. I bow hunted 30 years. But my point is, is early on, I have never, and nobody's done more buying or cold calling setups in their first 10 years of hunting than me. And I say that just, you know, like throwing it out there because I've done a lot. So give me, give me that date. Give me that phase
3: when you, what you're calling early season. What, what kind of dates are you looking at? Oh, we're well, all
1: bugling. Oh, the phase, uh, August 30th through the sixth or seventh you know each year is a little different but at the same time uh on august the 30th my son killed his biggest over-the-counter bull ever that i called in with just hard hard bugling Uh you know and and, but can you do that every year at that time no it just happened to be the right situation sure this bull had not made a sound nothing and I busted into his cows. We were heading straight up the mountain just after daylight, straight up. We had went in maybe a half a mile, and I came up over a a bench Mm -hmm. just, you know, banging around. And this was years ago, and Paul was very young. And, and and when we did, it was just like they were staring at me. I was staring at them. I tried to get behind what little bush I was there, you know, sound like an elk, look like a bush type of deal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they weren't going to buy it. And the minute I made some sounds, they were just staring, staring. And they turned it around and started to run. And I ran at them and screamed a bugle. And I screamed a second bugle and a third bugle and a fourth bugle. And on the fourth bugle, a bull responded. And when he did He must have been 500 yards away, wasn't anywhere near those cows, and he screamed. And he must have screamed five times in just 10 seconds, just as fast as he could. We ran at him, my son and I, ran at him, and I'm screaming, screaming, busting everything. And he's coming. I set my son up. My son ended up shooting that bull at 17 yards. But the thing is, is, that bull just flew down on August the 30th when maybe you wouldn't think they'd be that aggressive. Right. But you know what? That has never happened again. I had the same thing
3: happen September second, two years ago.
1: You know, early season. It's just mm-hmm. not a something you can count on. What yeah. <laughs> oh, happened then. Yeah, absolutely. And but we've called a lot of bulls like that and killed them. Mm-hmm. But the dates were different is, is, is what it was. But it just it was something that ignited that bull. And, and again, I ran into his cows and that was the situation right there. And they were, you know, there was no hot cows and any of that. It was just the fact he didn't like what happened, but don't think I haven't tried it before, you know, or after that. And it just hasn't connected. And so that's why you see me going these directions. That's why you see me saying, I have a time. I'm going to use an advertising bugle. I have a time. I'm going to use a breeding sequence. I have a time. I'm going to use a slow, slow play. Then I have a time. I'm going to use what I call my full send, which is. As aggressive as I can be right out of the gate. And so when you, when, you, when you have those four things and you realize the situation you're in, this is the one that's going to work best over this one from trial and error and from experience. A lot of guys will say, just I go by my gut. Well, if you don't have much elk hunting experience, how do you go? What's that gut? What is it determined by? Right. Nothing. So mine's by from experience of having so many encounters for so many years and so many failures and triumphs, we start going, you know what? In this situation, this one seems to work the fastest and the best. It's going to give us good odds. And that's how I pick one of the four. That's how I do it. And so and by doing that. This is what we're doing in, you know, the Elk Nut Crew and we have over 200 bulls in 30 years, the five of us. I mean, you know, there's something to be said for that. Wow, no. And, that's, and this, that's crazy. That's this awesome. This is what we're doing. And yep. these are over the counter elk. This is what we're doing. And so we try to apply the sequence or tactic that we think is the best. And it doesn't mean we're not embellishing on it or getting creative. One of my one of my most creative things is found under the Elk Nut Nuggets. And, and if guys just went over those 11 elk nut nuggets and really studied them hard, they would kill elk or be an elk to shoot every single year. All the other stuff out there is just sh- giving you examples and tra- trying to help you understand what an elk is thinking when he uses a specific sound. But the elk nut nuggets actually goes into the really meat and potatoes of, of, of tactics. But I'll tell you one of the biggest tactics that I use. When there's only two of us, And we're hunting some really heavily hunted bulls. And I mean, they just won't come into nothing. I mean, these guys are hammered. We have this one tactic, and maybe you've used it, Joe. I have no idea, but it's on the the app. You probably read it. But one of the biggest things we do when we got bulls that are basically hanging up, and I mean, they're 100 yards away, 150, and they will not budge. Mm-hmm. And, we, you know, we'll run into those elk every year. And so what? one of my favorite things to do, and my son has filled many of really nice six-point tags with this, is because I'm usually the caller because I just love it so much, is, is he runs – well, we'll finally, we we've established that the bull's there. And he's just screaming. We're going tit for tat, but he won't budge. So – and we've probably used both cow sounds and bull sounds. Mm-hmm. And he's answering every cow sound, but he won't come. And so what I do is I send my son right at him. And I've done the same thing with me going at him. And Paul's just, ah, 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 and he's going at him as he leaves me. I've been – I've been – mimicking both animals, the cow and the bull, as Paul starts cutting the distance, gets 50 to 60 yards from me, the bull goes nuts, the real bull, mm-hmm. because now the cow is choosing him. She's now leaving this bull. I stay back. I do not move. I'm still staying back that 100 yards or whatever, 150 yards away, and I'm trying to desperately call my cow back. So I'm showing a lot of emotion behind my bugle, but I'm not lip-balling yet. Mm-hmm. I'm screaming the short screams, trying to call her back. And at the same time, it's giving the bull, the real bull, the confidence because Paul is taking the cow calls right to him. He's leaving. He's leaving. The, she's leaving the bull she was with. And just murr, 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 murr. and she's crying. That's what they'll do. They, they meow. They they, they, they mew very fast when they do it. There's none of this social cow talk. You'll hear her do this. She goes right at him. Unless you've ever had cows coming to you while you were bugling, you you won't get it. But they will make that sound very, very fast. And they're coming right at you. And this is what we do. The shooter now is now the cow. And she he takes it right at him. As soon as he gets, and he's got cover and wind, of course, like you right, asked before. Right. Uh-huh. Have to do this with the cover. As soon as he gets that 40, 50 yard round, he shuts up. He can make all the noise he wants. He, the bull bull thinks it's the cow still coming in. And I am desperately now. I'm hitting lip balls. I'm showing all my emotion to call my cow back. But I'm not close in the distance because I fear the bull. I'm just trying to bring her back. And my point is it gives that shooter. Imagine how many times that bull's bugled and chuckled and trying to call that cow in. Exactly he has the direction at. right on top of him. Yep. I mean he has him pinpointed. And my son has killed so many bulls. On these over-the-counter bulls that have had a lot of pressure, what by us doing that one thing? If we would have stayed back and we Calcom Buell Calcom, we'd have never killed that bull. No way. He just lost interest. Yeah. There are times you call the bull to you, Uh and there's times you have the bull call you to him, and that is the game we'll play when. We feel we can't get him to budge. Here's what we're going to do. And the times when he's closing in the distance as we're, we are set up and doing a call scenario, that's fine. Here he comes. We let him do the moving. But there's going to be those times like you see in these guys' videos. They're calling, 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 all this interaction. You know, the, the bulls be with 25 times, but he's not cutting the distance. Here is a perfect example how you can kill that bull. Or we do with the call and stock. If I can keep him that active or that vocal, where the shooter slips in, of course, unannounced, doesn't cow call, doesn't do anything. He just takes as long as it takes to maneuver around. I remember I got to tell you this. I can remember once when Paul was 16 years old, Uh and I got a bull to respond. He was 350 yards away, and Paul was standing next to me, and. We watch this bull bugle, or not, but we could hear him bugle, bugle, bugle. All of a sudden, we see him walk out into this little meadow. And when I say meadow, I'm talking 30 feet by 30 feet. We just happened to see him walk out, and there was a wallow there, which I never even knew was there. He walked in, and he just started throwing mud, and he'd stop, and he'd bugle and scream at me. And we thought, oh, he's going to come. Well, he never came. I'm saying five <laughs> or six minutes went by, and I told Paul, I says. You're just going to have to go right at that bull. Just go right at him. I'm going to keep him alive and active, and he's going to give you a direction. So I said, he's 16, you know. he had a few elk behind him. He that's good. He has a few kills. So he (laughs) starts slipping and slipping and slipping in. And I'm going and going. And I'm talking 40 minutes here. 40 minutes has gone by. Wow. I've called every few minutes, and I saw the bull. Off and on, he'd walk back in. He'd walk back in the timber, walk back out, walk into the timber. So I'm thinking, well, he's bugling this whole time. I'm thinking Paul has got to get on this bull. All of a sudden, I hear a bunch of running, crashing, thrashing everywhere, and I'm screaming. I'm, you know, I'm thinking he shot. I don't know what happened. I don't see anything mm-hmm. after all this time period went by. So now I run down there after I hear it all because I I figure he either shot the bull or it, he ran off. He saw Paul. I don't know what. He's 16, you know, make <laughs> mistakes. So I go on down there. I cut the distance. I get down there and he's just standing there. And he is like, just, he's not doing anything. You have to know my son. Uh-huh. He is He's one of those guys that is so calm. He just kind of like, no excitement at all. <laughs> and He just stands there. And I don't know if he shot anything. Even the very first bull he ever killed, he just kind of, yep, I got it done. <laughs> right. He, mu- no, he, he must get no, that jump, from his mom, Paul. His he's not that kid. He has... ice water in his veins. He's always been that way and still that way today. But he's just standing there. And I'm like, you know, I'm the one that's all jumping, every hyper is all get out. Standing (laughs) like, what? And he just points. And I look over and that bull's laying there dead. I mean, right there. He's not even 20 yard laying there dead. I'm like, what (laughs) What happened? (laughs) So he tells me, he said, Dad, he goes, I got up there. Bull standing there 20 yards. Uh-huh. He doesn't even know I'm there. He's behind a tree. His head is behind the tree. His whole vile body is standing out there. I pull. I draw back. And when I do, I notice my string comes way back past my ear. like, what the? And he said, I didn't know what was going on. I put the bow, I arrow, the pin on him. Uh-huh. I mean, he's on 20 yards. I shoot. And I watch the arrow hit the ground, almost where his feet is. Uh-huh. He doesn't even move. Nothing. I'm like, what the? So he says, I pull another arrow out. I shoot again. He just stands there. Nothing. Arrow hits the ground again. I'm like, two warning shots. I mean, seriously. Honest to God. Who gets that? Right. (laughs) And so he says, I look at my bow, and my strings are cut. He says, I got like three or four strands. Everything else is all is the top and bottom. And the string, in other words, when he pulled back, the pins were doing nothing. He wasn't online. He says, the bull walks out. I draw back. The bull walks out from behind the tree, and is just staring at me. They're like what the heck is going he says i hold it just over the top of his back you know he's 16 you know uh-huh. that's what they do i'm you know that's just how it is he says i i know what it did on two arrows he goes now i realize what's going on it's way off my pins are meaning nothing i hold over the top of my back i shoot it goes right through him and hits him in the heart drives right wow. through it lands on the ground on the other side he runs <laughs> around 20 yards and just piles right up wow and so you know that was a call and stock but i'm just that's exactly. Actually, what happened? That's <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah. The thing was like four inches too long. I mean, because you know of the shortness of. But anyhow, oh, you know, I don't know if you heard school. me, but when you said
3: he just stood there all calm and quiet and everything, he must get
1: that from his mom. <laughs> yeah, he didn't get it from me because I'm extremely hyper and just, I get excited and and whatnot. But but you know, I've seen him go through things that just I don't know how he keeps his cool. I re- I remember. This was when he was 14 years old. I called. uh, We were both. We had a bull just screaming at us. We're way up the mountain. I mean, we're a half a mile. We could hear him in the bottom. And I said, man, let's just go after this bull. So we go all the way down. Again, this is before he was even 16. We get down to the bottom. And I said, okay. I said, we're going to hit. I said, I heard the bull bugle right over here. There's a huge rock the size of a Volkswagen. I said, let's get to the left side of this right here. And I think Paul's like 14 then. Right. And he's standing to my left, just off my shoulder. And we're standing there. And I says, oh, we're kind of whispering back and forth, going to make a plan. About that time, over the top of this rock, and I'm talking yards away, we see these tines starting to bounce right over the top of the rock. This bull's coming. I mean, he must have heard us come down there. I don't know. I didn't call. And so I re- as I see him coming in, I mean, this bull is like just I mean, he's under ten yards, and he and he doesn't even over there. So I go to draw back, and Paul's standing off my left shoulder, and he's just standing there looking. Paul has his bow in his hand. And as I draw back, my arrow, how to guess my excitement, I have no idea, pops off my wrist and lands between my thumb and my point finger, right it la- sitting right there. And I'm at full draw, and the bull's standing right there. He's staring at me. It's a six point. <laughs> and I am flicking my thumb. I'm trying to get the arrow to pop back on the wrist. And as I did, <laughs> it flipped onto my wrist. And oh, I'm like, no. oh. From so bad mean, to I'm in my key, And I'm like, this is not. And I look at Paul and I said, draw, draw. And so I'm not, I'm not sure what he's doing, but I'm saying, draw, draw. Real silent, you know. And so all of a sudden, Paul draws. You aren't going to believe this. He draws back. And his arrow flips off his rest oh, and lands no. in the same spot. Unbelievable. He flicks, he flicks his finger. This is all happening fast. He uh-huh. flicks his finger, and it jumps on the rest. I kid you not. It wow. jumps on the rest, and he drills and kills that bull right there. <laughs> and I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is true stuff here. Over-the-counter hunt. This six-point bull, bull, he kills this bull. I I would say he probably still went 150 yards, but he kills the bull. Now we're going to pack this thing out. But, I mean, that is really the exact story. that's awesome. That's how calm he can be. Instead of like, oh, my God, you know, I mean, (laughs) instead of coming unglued, he flicks it back. How he got it on the rest, I don't know. He doesn't know either. But it flopped back on. We were using those. Do you remember the old TM Hunter's? Yes, yes. uh It's a little fork TM Uh Hunter. And and when you, I mean, they're like today's rest. When you draw back, they stand up. Well, that's what this one was. And how it ever came off the TM Hunter rest on us both. We were both using the same style. It did. And it came off on both of us. After that. We did not use them anymore. <laughs> no, <what? laughs> I don't even know what we went to, but we did not use those anymore because it jumped off them. I don't know if we were just nervous and made it pop up. I, I honestly don't remember. But Well, once you
3: find a failure point, and that's a big thing that, that we talk about, you know, when you locate a failure point, uh, it's time to fix that and move on. So I think it's awesome, Paul, that uh, you got a chance to tell that story about you and I—I uh, I don't know. You call him Paul Junior.
1: Uh, yeah, he's Paul Junior, forty-two-year-old yeah. Paul Junior, <laughs> <laughs> forty-two-year-old
3: Paul Junior. That's yep. <laughs> awesome, man. And you know, I think that's so fitting. Uh, and a lot of people—it's real because, life.
1: This is real stuff. This yeah, is what we go it's, through. You it's, know, it's, it's fun.
3: So so awesome. And uh, you know, people aren't able to see this because we're 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 going to be just audio. There's not going to be any video here. But Paul, I want you to know that throughout this podcast. I've been sitting here with this big grin on my face, this crap-eating <laughs> grin, just enjoying, totally, totally enjoying this whole thing. I, uh, uh, the the passion, uh, the stories with you and your son, uh, just the things that that come out and the enthusiasm that I hear and in, uh, in so many of the things that you talk about. Just really sit and make me smile and oh thanks i appreciate that oh i I just wanted to tell you that i i i i really appreciate that i appreciate you and uh i know we're at the at the time on our podcast here uh buddy i i wish we had three hours to four hours because i think we can we we can do another one sometime when you have time just let me know. would you love to come back on the show i'd love to have you
1: Oh, absolutely. There's always so many questions oh, to, you to ask and to cover. You know, I mean, this is just the tip of the iceberg. You know that. I oh, mean, you're absolutely. an elk hunter. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah,
3: 100%. Awesome, man. Well, uh, I, you know, I, I just want to thank you. And I hope everybody that's listening to this, I, I know that you got some nuggets. You heard Paul say it right here that he gave some things on this podcast that he's never said before. And
1: uh, that was just fantastic. And, and Paul, I just, I hope people try these things. I mean, really, they need to get out and try them oh, yeah. and it will build their confidence saying, man, this stuff does work even on these pressured elk, because so many times, Joe, all we're trying to do is find them. We're not trying to call them to us yet. We're just trying to locate and find elk, you know, Half and that's
3: the right when the hunt begins. Yep, Half the battle is finding them and, and then making it happen from there. And, uh, yes. I think you're a master at that uh and <laughs> it's so enjoyable just to hear you talk about the excitement and to talk about the different scenarios and and you know when uh I hope a lot of people one thing that really rung true to me during this whole podcast that I would like everybody to take with you is close your eyes sometimes, feel mm-hmm. the spirit of the moment. Understand what's going on. Take in the emotion. Don't be in such a hurry to to just make things happen. Feel the moment. Close your eyes. Understand the emotion. It's convincing. (laughs) Exactly.
1: It's very convincing. It's just like if you told if you were telling somebody that you loved him. I mean, you know, you, you, you really put your heart and and, and soul behind it. You don't go, Hey, I love you. You know I mean? That's not (laughs) how you do it. It's not, it's like I'm making an elk sound now. I'm going to make cow call bugle. A lot of times, if you think about what that message is you're sending, that is where, you know, you can really put that heartfelt feeling behind it. And it's very believable when you're doing this with elk, they do the same thing. Do it back.
3: Absolutely. Paul, thank you so, so much, man. And I look forward to the next time. And, uh, Uh, You guys that are listening out there, uh, we look forward to having you again. I hope you enjoyed this special Insights edition of Blue Collar Elk Hunting. You have just heard it from one of the grinders out there that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. So guys, gals, we look forward to seeing you again next time right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting.